Live from the Merck Park, USA, I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580, 1-800-920-1580. Our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, everything at KBLA 1580. While I'm on that, um, for those of you who... Um, They've been asking uh, how the luncheon turned out the other day where we celebrated all of these black uh, L.A. media legends and the mayor, Karen Bass, joined us. If you go to any of our socials, I'm <laughs> I'm told, I actually I saw a little bit of it yesterday, there's stuff everywhere. There's video, there are photos of this great day we had in Los Angeles on Tuesday, the last day of Black History Month, where we celebrated, uh, again, Jim Hill and Pat Harvey, Mark Brown, Leslie Sykes. Uh, Beverly White, uh, Sandy Banks, uh, Pat Prescott. Uh, again, the mayor was with us. It was a great day, a room full of influencers and thought leaders and opinion makers. But there are photos, there's video on all of our socials. So check out any of our platforms and you can see what a great time we had closing out Black History Month on Tuesday. So that that's uh, uh, just an update on the stuff you can find on our socials. Uh, let, me invite you, uh, let me invite you right now to download our app as well. Download the app. Uh, at KBLA 1580 and take us anywhere with you in the world and listen to us in real time. But only if you download our app right now at KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of this program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast of this program and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But I am delighted to have you along live with us today for the next three hours. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA BLA TV icon on our app or by visiting our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today. In our second hour, two conversations. Up first, a Women's History Month conversation with decorated Olympic gold medalist and owner of the historic 27th Street Bakery here in Los Angeles, Jeanette Bolden, on the progress women have made or not in sports over the past 40 years. On the B side of our two, a conversation with civil rights attorney, racial justice advocate, and now author, Nakima Levy-Armstrong, about her new children's book, J is for Justice, a social justice book for kids. In our third hour, two more conversations on uh, the top of our three. Dr. James Butch Rosser is back, and we will talk to him about the importance of employee wellness to the bottom line and how businesses and organizations can drastically transform the lives of employees in as little as seven steps. On the B side of our three. On the B side of our three, we'll speak with a legendary reggae historian, writer, actor, and author of So Much Things to Say, the oral history of Bob Marley on the occasion of Bob Marley One Love Experience, which is currently in the midst of a 12-week residency here in Los Angeles at Ovation Hollywood. I'm going to see it this weekend. I've been hearing so much about it and can't wait to go see it. Um, so uh, we'll talk to uh, uh, on our uh, the bottom of the uh, third hour uh, our friend and historian uh, about uh, this uh, Bob uh, Marley uh, uh, ex- ex- exhibition 
that's in town right now. I look forward to that conversation with Roger Steffens when we get to the B side of our three. We commence today's program, though, in conversation with a young man named uh, Shandis Jackson. Everybody I know, everybody I know in L.A. is working, it seems, on a screenplay <laughs> about something. Everybody got a screenplay, right? Everybody has got something in development, as we say out here. But uh, Shandis Jackson is the inaugural recipient of the Writers Program Fellowship from the CBS Studios NAACP production venture and The Blacklist. He will receive a WGA script deal to develop a new pilot script for the partnership. Uh, Now, obviously, it's no secret that Hollywood still has a diversity, equity, and inclusion problem, even though a new study from USC shows that marginal gains have been made in creating a more inclusive atmosphere for underrepresented groups since the 2015 Oscars So White controversy. By the way, the 95th Academy Awards will be uh, presented Sunday, the 12th of March on ABC. That said, we congratulate Chandis Jackson on this historic fellowship and welcome him to this program for a conversation about the significance of black screen and television writers crafting black stories. We'll start that conversation when we come forward. I'm thinking this might be this might be a Spike Lee, John Singleton, Ryan Coogler conversation a few years before touchdown. We'll talk to Chandis Jackson when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Chandis, good morning. How you doing? Man, if I can play that being ingrate, I'm glad to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. First of all, thank you for that introduction. Yeah, it's uh it's uh it's fascinating. So that's to be in this moment. Thank no, you. fascinating is a is a great word. Um let me let me start with the um the partnership itself. Uh, I remember when okay. this when this uh, partnership was announced and of course you the recipient uh, of their uh, first writers program fellowship so you don't actually actually speak for them but since you know about it I'm going to ask you to share with the audience about this partnership as you understand it between CBS the NAACP the blacklist it seems to me that it's one of the ways uh Chandice, that we can that we can start to address um this dearth this paucity of uh diversity and equity and inclusion in Hollywood but tell me how you see the partnership first and we'll work our way through this hour lots to talk about though Definitely, definitely. Well, you, you hit it on the head. I mean, this is a this is a partnership agreement that that came into into fruition back in 2020. Mm-hmm. So it was right after the George Floyd uh, uh, tragedy that happened uh, several years back, and so uh, came into in, uh, into light with uh, the president of uh, CBS Entertainment, George Cheeks, and then also Derek Johnson, CEO of NAACP. They wanted to ensure that they had. Uh, essentially an agreement in place to to go outside the normal what i would call studio network system to get content mm-hmm. and and so that meant <clears throat> partnering with uh, an organization that had a long lineage in telling stories that were inclusive but also stories that spoke to a specific experience and so that's that's really the mandate and uh it's early in this partnership as you know it just started but this uh, particular program and venture that i'm in is is one of the first, yeah. and so it's just something that that really does address what I call, to, to your point, the dearth, the, the lacking of stories that speak to uh, a particular experience. Yeah. Since you went there, let me follow you. Um, what do you think Hollywood has been missing out on all these decades by not going outside of the studio network system, as you put it, to find great stories? Uh, that's a great question, man. I, I think it's uh, it's missing off. It's missing out on those 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 uh, what I call those true experiences. Those experiences that speak to people in the local uh, 
and the local cities and, and, and what I call the towns that are getting serviced by other means of entertainment. Uh, you have artists that are already, that figured that out years ago, Tyler Perry being one of them, uh, that was like, you know what, I'm going to go outside this, this studio, what I call bubble, and, and go directly to the audience. And I think now that that is the opportunity and that is what Hollywood is seeing because uh, there's so many other things that's pulling on people's what I call eyeballs and their time and their, you know, and and so you really have to go where the audience is. And I think that this is that opportunity. Yep. Tyler Perry has elevated from selling stuff out of the trunk of his car, as we all know, uh, to, to, right. to billionaire status. Uh, and I'm curious, given where you are in your journey right now, whether you think that what Tyler did and the way Tyler did it makes him an outlier. Uh, clearly, he has his own unique gift, his own style and his own brand. Uh, so nobody, nobody's talking about replicating what he did, per se, uh, creatively or artistically. But I'm talking about the model, whether or not you think that model is scalable for other black folk or is Tyler Perry just a special brother who's an outlier? Well, you know, I, I think that model is, is a scalable model. I think we've seen it replicated in other aspects of the entertainment space. Uh, years before Tyler, Master P did it similarly, similarly with selling CDs out of his out of his trunk, mm-hmm. you know, foregoing, you know, a marketing deal to, to basically say, you know what, I'll, you know, I can do this myself. And so I, I think there is an opportunity to, to, to what I call subvert the model, mm-hmm. but still, quite frankly, we do need, you know, the infrastructure, you know, the, 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 the bottom line is, is that the studios know how many theater theaters they need to open to get to a certain market. And, and that is, you know, it's, it's challenging when you're doing it uh, outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let me pivot for a second uh, and get you to uh, share with me in the audience a bit of the the story of uh, Chandis Jackson. I mentioned a moment ago or moments ago when we started this conversation that uh, this sort of feels to me, and I've had the honor of doing this uh, repeatedly in my career. Uh, I talked to John Singleton way back when. I talked to <laughs> I talked to Ryan Coogler way back when. Uh, Spike had already gotten started, but only barely when he and I first sat for a conversation. So I, I feel. Uh, a little goose bumpy uh, having conversations with certain people at certain stages in their careers. I talked to Kanye before he blew up and I talked to Esmeralda uh, Spalding before she blew up. I've been at this so long now. I've been honored to talk to a lot of people on their way to the top. Um, so I'd love to get the backstory. So uh, when we play this tape years from now, when you've, uh, when you're writing and producing and directing hit projects <laughs> that we all know and love, I can pull this tape out and say, see, I had him on years ago. So uh, I am curious uh, to learn more about your backstory before, before we get into your being the inaugural recipient of this Writers Fellowship that may help change the game, at least that's what CBS and NAACP hope, that we can change the game about diversity and equity and inclusion and in Hollywood uh, writ large. But tell me about uh, your backstory. Uh, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm from the South. I'm from uh, Mobile, Alabama, mm. which is uh, a port city. So uh, if, if you've been uh, uh, to that region of the country, it's uh, great food, you know, a, a, Small town, but more or less a port city. Been there many times, uh, many and, times, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, went to college uh, at Howard University, made my way up to the D.C. area. And I actually, uh, Tavis, I went on uh, an Army ROTC scholarship. That was my, my ticket out, mm. quite frankly. Mm. Uh, knew that um, at the time that I would have to go into the military to, to serve because that was the obligation to, to kind of pay back that that education but you know it, it was a great experience and it was an eye-opener for me because that really was where the storytelling and, and the understanding 
of the black experience began. I mean, you can't, you know, you can't get any deeper than going to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love is when I was at Howard, even though I took my studies in military science, I studied finance, but did military science, everything was really integrated around the study of African-American contributions uh, to the study of military. For example, learning about the triple nickel, learning about Jackie Robinson's uh, tank regiment. Not many people knew that, probably know that Jackie Robinson, you know, was an, was, uh, was a tanker, but mm-hmm, he was, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so bringing all that together is really what gave me an understanding to, to be able to now, you know, just think about, you know, my contribution once I got out of Howard. And so went into the military afterwards and then uh, started journaling, writing. Uh, eventually, um, when I got out, uh, decided, you know what, I was torn between going back to get an MFA in writing or going to, because uh, I, I, I studied finance to get a degree in finance, and I kind of chickened out, man. I went and got a degree in finance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't understand. Well, I didn't understand the path. It wasn't, it wasn't, there, I didn't know anybody. I knew I loved it, but I didn't know anybody that was doing that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then from there, uh, worked in finance for a little bit, but I kept writing. Uh, and my wife was at uh, journalism school when I would, be her camera person, hold what, you know, do whatever I needed mm-hmm. to do to, to be creative. And eventually I wrote a script and, uh, it got me, uh, noticed by Disney and that's what brought me out to LA. Mm. Uh, and how have you found LA so far? Yeah. Well, in, in your intro, you kind of summed it up, man. Every, everybody's working on the screenplay. <laughs> you go into, <laughs> you, 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 you go into any coffee shop, and, yeah. and that's why I, I used to write in coffee shops, but not as much anymore. And the person right next to you is working on a script, and, and you might eyeball it a little bit and be like, man, you know, what I could have. And so everybody's doing something creative, and you really have to be comfortable with that and confident in, in your own craft. But that's, that's L.A., man. Everybody's out here. You know, everybody's trying to, to make it creatively and to be what I would call it. You know, this is the top. This is this is where it's done. Yep. Yeah. When, when it comes to your, your artistic expression, uh, your writing specifically, what have you uh, taken from, you, you sort of teed this up, and I want to drill down a little bit more. What have you taken from the experience of having gone to an HBCU, uh, Go Bison, we'll shout out Howard. Um, what, 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 what have you taken from that experience and, and interestingly from the experience of having served the nation um, as a black man who's gone to an HBCU and served the nation, who's now uh, received a major fellowship to write stories here in Hollywood? How do those two experiences inform your work and your witness right now? Oh, wow. <laughs> um you know, going to an HBCU is, is in many ways, it is life defining, you know, because you, you, you get a sense when you're on, when you're on campus in DC, when you're at Howard, that you're not just there for yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, you're there for people that have come before you, you know, for the ancestors, for people that have paved the way. So you don't take a lot of, uh, you don't take a lot for granted, you know, and I, and I knew that when I was leaving Howard to go into the army. Now that I, I look at it as far as having a platform. That's that's really the way I look at it now, Tavis. It's it's like wow, you know what? Being a storyteller now gives me the the opportunity to go back and make some corrections. And and when you you know, meaning you know, I've watched military films before, and and I've always had an asterisk there because I knew you know what that really wasn't the best depiction or that wasn't an accurate depiction. Mm-hmm. Now as a storyteller, I feel I have an obligation to go back 
and correct the record, so to speak, and and be a part of what I call, you know, those witnesses that really can, you know, bring about what I call a truer perspective of the black experience. Mm-hmm. And Howard's given me the confidence to do that, but also just experience in the military as well. Yeah. Um, I am struck by your by your use of the phrase um, make corrections. I never quite and I've done this for obviously a few decades now, never quite thought of um, the art of writing, particularly and especially in this town as an opportunity to make corrections. I think of that, of course, when I speak to any number of African-American historians. We had Claiborne Carson on yesterday, the great historian at Stanford, who Credit Scott King chose um, uh to be in charge of the King Papers Project. I think of Claiborne Carson and others correcting the record. Uh, I think of politicians who get a chance to pass laws and advance good public policy that can that, that can uh, help uh, correct mistakes and, and, and make corrections uh, in the direction uh, this country is headed in. But I never quite thought about uh, uh, writing in, in Hollywood, screenwriting, as an opportunity to make corrections it's a fascinating concept, and indeed, you do get a chance to do that. Not all, not not every person who's black uh, takes the opportunity uh, uh, seriously to do what you are attempting to do. But talk to me more about about that notion of of having an opportunity to be a storyteller and to correct the record, to get things right, given all the ways we've been depicted in film, uh, on television. That is that that's not multidimensional. There's no texture to it. There's no there, there's there, it's not layered at all. You see black men specifically on television in one of two ways, handcuffs in the front, handcuffs in the back. You get a chance, though, really to make corrections, to correct the record. I've never thought about it quite that way. Tell me more about that. Uh, awesome. Uh, you know, it, it's it's something that I kind of got from my time working in finance, but it's, you know, there's a sense, you know, when you're, you know, you're doing the numbers, right. And, and you have what I call projections Mm -hmm. at the end of the month, you're going to, you're going to actually get those, that real perspective and those true numbers. And you're going to true up whatever was there. You're going to make corrections. You're going to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. What I, what I mean in the storytelling sense is to your point, you know, there've been movies that have come out, you know, that when I look at it, 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 you know, historically wasn't layered enough. And I'll give you one example, not, uh, not to bash and criticize, sure. but there was a movie out years ago called The Help. Uh, and The Help had uh, a great cast. Uh, story uh, was to the point where it gave a perspective that we, you know, we hadn't seen, but the point of view was something that really wasn't layered, mm. you know? And when you think of that, it, it's it's that type of perspective that, that when you say, how can we, give a different perspective in the future? How can we layer that story so that, you know, when we see this perspective of a African-American woman who is the help, we can really understand what she felt and really dig deeper into that experience for her, you know, mm-hmm. not the, uh, the young girl who lived at the house with her, not to say that her experience isn't valid, but this is named after this particular black woman. And, and we want to know more about that experience. We want, you know, and so I think, that's and so so the next what I, what I mean by correcting that that next filmmaker that next storyteller will have an obligation you know if they chose to take that particular uh, story to really dig deeper and give a different perspective and give some understanding. Mm. I want to ask you a question, and I, I'll ask the question in a moment after I after I retell a story I've told before. But since you went there, I want to follow you. Uh, and share, sure. share the story again because you may not be familiar with it um, and others may not be familiar with it. Um, and But the question I want to ask when I get to the other side of this story is how you process that in television and certainly in film, 
we are still living in an era, even in 2023, where our stories have to be told through their lens. And I don't mean through their technical lens. You know exactly what I'm talking about here. Yeah. That the stories of our experiences have to be told through their uh, their humanity <laughs> through 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 their experiences. Um, I love Denzel, the, the greatest actor of his generation, no question about it. But if you remember the movie Cry Freedom, I have the same critique of Cry Freedom mm-hmm. that you have of The Help. I loved Cry Freedom. It's a great film. I, I, I spent some time with the director of that film, Sir Richard Attenborough. Um, and Denzel played Steve Biko brilliantly in the movie Cry Freedom. But the movie is really told through the story of Donald Woods, the white newspaper That's publisher. Right. Who Correct. who helped uh, put the story out about what Steve Biko was doing and and wrote the story of how the state uh, of the Republic of South Africa essentially murdered Stephen Biko. So the movie is told through the eyes of the white newspaper publisher Donald Woods, not really through the eyes of Stephen Biko, played brilliantly again by the greatest actor of his generation, Denzel Washington. So my critique of Cry Freedom is not dissimilar from your critique of The Help. Here's the story right quick in 90 seconds. Um, I had Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer on my television show uh, when that movie came out some years ago. And I and I I pressed this question of, of of why we needed another film. I was glad that both of them were Academy nominated, but why do we need another film showing black folk in these same kinds of roles? Um, and what do you say to people who are offering that critique? Octavia gave a very nice um, uh, response to the to the to the question, and she she pushed back lovingly, respectfully in her own way. And then I got to Vi- Viola, and Viola just went off. I mean, it she went, she went in, and, and she and she mostly went in on me for asking the question. Uh, and when Viola went on me, I went back on Viola. We went at it that day. And if you Google Tavis and Viola, you'll see it all over the internet. It's been seen millions and millions of times. But I pressed her on that issue. Um, and it was fascinating for me that a year or two ago, Viola finally came out publicly and said she made a mistake playing that character in a major interview. Um, she admitted years later after that tete-a-tete with me that she'd made a mistake by playing that character in the role to help. It wasn't one of her finest moments. That's not a direct quote, but you can find her exact quote. Uh, about rethinking the notion of the help. And then the producers of the help went into overdrive trying to defend their film uh, that Viola just said she'd made a mistake starring in. She's a great actress. Don't get me wrong. I love Viola Davis. A great actress. And can't nobody put it on. The, the, the tears, the snot, can't nobody give it to you like Viola can give it to you. So I ain't mad at her. But it does raise questions um, about the roles that we take, about diversity, about equity, about inclusion, especially when actors of her stature, Academy Award-winning actors, start to rethink later on the roles that they did take as they were building their resume. We're talking with Shannis Jackson, who is the uh, the inaugural Writers Fellowship uh, recipient for the CBS Studios NAACP production venture and the blacklist to address these issues of diversity in Hollywood. More with him when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tabby Smiley. Glad to have you in with us in this hour. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. Glad to have you tuned in to Unapologetically Progressive KBLA Talk 1580. We continue our conversation now with uh, Mobile, Alabama's own uh, Shandis Jackson, who is now in Los Angeles as the uh, inaugural uh, fellowship recipient of this uh, writers program uh, with uh, CBS Studios and NAACP. Uh, And we are continuing our conversation now about the significance of black screen and television writers crafting our stories, crafting African-American stories. So uh, I shared that story, Shandis, before uh, uh, news, traffic and sports about my experience talking to Octavia and Viola, when that movie, The Help, came out, which you referenced uh, earlier earlier in our conversation, and I share with you, of course, my views about uh, a movie like Cry Freedom. And there are any number of examples 
Um, what's, what's the one that Sandra with Sandra uh, Bullock and she uh, the black guy that played football? Um, uh, I'm oh, the blind side. The blind side. The blind Sa- side. Same story. Yeah. I could, I could, if, if we had time, I could do it all day. I could spend all three hours of this program today running a list of movies where our humanity, if they can get to it, our story, if they can get to it, has to be told through their lens. And that's a problem for me with so many of these films. And so I love when Chandice Jackson said earlier that as a, as a screenwriter and as the recipient of this inaugural fellowship, he's in a class now of brothers and sisters coming up who can start to correct the narrative, uh, as he put it, make corrections in the stories that have that have been told about us. The question I said I wanted to ask, and I will now, is how you process, since you gave us the initial example of the help, how do you process when you see films, when you see television shows that do that, that force us to try to get to the humanity of the black character through the humanity of the white character? Well, that's a, that's a tough question, Tavis. Um, I, I think, um, I think first of all, you have to know why it's that way. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, is that the reason why you, you have to go through, I think the, uh, you know, let's just say the white character or the other character to eventually get to that, uh, that person of color, that black character is because that honestly is, is the way people feel comfortable you know, and receiving, you know, mm. that, what I call that, that messaging, mm. right. You know, it's, it's tough, you know, to, to, to see these truths, you know, and that's what writing allows you to see. It, it allows you to see truths out there, ugly truths, truths, things that you sometimes just feel very, what I would call uh, ashamed to see. Mm-hmm. And, and when you sometimes can see it through a proxy that, uh, that that's a that's a different proxy or some something that's familiar to you. It eases that you know what I call that uh, that that pain, mm-hmm. and so that's that's just that's just something that I you know that I've seen, and I think that's why we sometimes uh, see these different proxies out there, or different ways to get instead of going directly to the source or getting it from the source, because it just makes it easier to digest. Yeah. Before I ask you in a moment um, what you intend to do with this fellowship, let me ask you another question, and I'm, I'm laughing already because if you think my last question was tough, wait till you get to this one. <laughs> so, at, least, at least I forewarned you and told you it was going to be a, a tricky question, not my first and not my last in my career. Um, but but I'm, I'm wondering whether or not there's something I've been missing all this time, and that is to say this, to say the following. We, we tend to think, or in these conversations, uh, it, 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 we always arrive at this place that the reason why there has been this, how might I put it, there's, this, there's been this resistance longstanding to having black folk in writer's rooms in this town. Uh, we tend to always arrive at the same place, that the reason for it is racism. And I'm the first to tell you, as this audience knows, I believe that racism is the most intractable issue in this country. Uh, Johnny Cochran, the late, great Johnny Cochran, once said that race is a part of everything in America. Uh, He was roundly criticized for that, but he was right then and in death. Johnny Cochran is still right that race is a part of everything in America. It's not just a human reality, as I put it. It is also a political reality. Um, But beyond the obvious, which is, again, race, uh, are there reasons you figured out or thought about as to why there is such a resistance even still in 2023 to them having black folk in writer's rooms? Is it, and I'm, and I'm asking that because you, when you talk about the truth, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe it, there's a, there's an uncomfortable truth 
that black riders bring into the room with them that the white riders can't deal with? I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out is there something beyond the obvious that you think keeps black folk out of riding rooms in this town? You know, I, I think it, you know, I think it's complicated. Uh, the, the, that's a short answer, but I, mm-hmm. I, I do feel that when you start talking about writers' rooms, you start talking about a dynamic of of creatives mm-hmm. who uh, come together to create content, and uh, and a lot of times these are people who are hanging out outside of the writers' room. Mm-hmm. So there's this already comfort bubble of people that are that are if you're in a comedy room you know telling jokes and telling jokes in a certain way and they get it and they're like oh now we have to do this Mm -hmm. officially and we have to create a room and now you have to invite people who you typically would not have within that bubble inside this environment and i think that makes people from, from a creative standpoint maybe uncomfortable because it's not necessarily racist or anything like that it's just that people are already creating you know uh with this what I call tribe or bubble mm-hmm. outside of these rooms. And so now when you start having these rooms and things are different, that that's part of the challenge right there. You know, you, you, you're not already creating with people of color and you're not doing things outside with people that what I would say that, that don't look like you. And so that's, that's the, the big challenge. And I think going forward, it, it really lends itself to, you know, well, how do we, you know, bring in people that don't look like, you know, me as a creator and ensure that we can still get great content, but not what I call, you know, not feel uncomfortable about it or not feel like a sense of unease. Yeah. But it is, but it, you know, getting into a writer's room, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, there's, you know, one or two spots that go out and then everybody in the town knows about it. Mm-hmm. And then you really do have to understand, you know, you know, how each person will play together to create that sense of art, that content. You used used the word a moment ago that hit me like a two-by-four upside of my head, uh, and the word you just uh, uttered was the word tribe. And two thoughts came to mind when you used that word tribe. The first is that African-Americans, more than any other group in this country, uh, are always subject to being called tribal. And in many ways we are, um, but uh, that word... uh, is a word that we can't seem to escape. Um, we are always accused, no matter what the issue is, of being tribal. And I think sometimes that's a, that's an advantage for us, that we stick together. Uh, other times, uh, and oftentimes, it's used to, to, to demean and to diss us that we're just being tribal. Um, I raise that only because, in my experience, being around here 30-plus years now, I've never seen an institution that is more tribal than Hollywood. It is a tribe. <laughs> And you can break that down in any number of ways, and some of the ways you break it down will get you in trouble. But, but, it, but this whole town, uh, this whole business of Hollywood is extremely, extremely tribal. And to your point, that's why it's difficult for people who look like you and me uh, to land spots in writers' rooms. Um, a quick confession here, and we'll come forward. And I've never said this publicly, but I learned that lesson the hard way. When I started my, 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 my PBS television show, which I owned, uh, and to this day, I own all the content. I'm very fortunate in my career to have gotten some great advice years ago. I own all of my content. I own my music through Tavis Smiley Music. I own the rights to all of my books that I've written, 24. I own the rights to all of my product, uh, the stuff I did on BET years ago, the stuff I did uh, for my, my radio work, and certainly all of my 14, 15 years on PBS. I own that content. That catalog belongs to me. Uh, to monetize, to monetize for the rest of my life and for the life of my my heirs, 
Uh, but again, that's a hard fight, but not everybody can say that. But I am very clear about my intention to own everything I do. Um, that said, when I started the television show, I hired one white guy uh, to be the executive producer. He had worked for Larry King. He'd worked for Bob Costas. He was qualified. And I hired this one white guy to be my exec producer and put him in charge of building my team. It took me a while to figure this out because he wasn't honest about it up front. But when I realized some years later um, that everybody he brought with him was a part of his tribe, it wasn't like he really, you know, promoted and publicized the fact that Tabby Smiley has a new talk show. It's a national TV show. And we're looking for, you know, a team of people to help us elevate and build this brand. Um, it, it didn't work that way. I put one guy in charge and trusted him, entrusted him to build this team. And he did. And that team served me well. Don't get it wrong. It served me well. But I, it took me a few years to realize the more I talked to these individual people, they had known each other for years. <laughs> and they had mm -hmm. all, all worked together. And to your point, they hung out in bars. And I didn't know this until years later. When they left my show at the end of taping, they would all go to the bars together. So they, they were a tribe before they got to me. They were a tribe while they were with me. And believe it or not, at one point, they all decided to leave me. And guess what? They all left together as a tribe. And I was stuck holding the bag trying to figure out who am I going to hire now to take me through the next five, seven, it turned out, another five, six, seven seasons of my program. So they left thinking they were going to leave me in a lurch. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I brought another team in and went on for another five or seven years. And the show they went to was canceled in a matter of months. So it worked out for me. It didn't work out for them. But I, I learned the hard way that this town is a tribe and it's difficult oftentimes for folk who look like us to break into that, but I digress. More with Shandis Jackson talking specifically about his fellowship when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Of this Writers Program Fellowship from CBS Studios and WACP Production Venture in the Blacklist, and I'm honored to have him in dialogue in this hour to talk about how he hopes and intends to change the game. I said at the top of this hour, this may turn out to be one of those uh, Spike Lee, John Singleton, Ryan Coogler conversations in the making. Uh, and so I'm honored to have uh, Mr. Jackson out of Mobile, Alabama, now living in L.A. and uh, writing his screenplay like all the rest of us in this town. But the rest of us ain't got a, a fellowship like he does. So, Shandis, tell me about the fellowship, brother. Great, great. Well, Tad, it actually it, it starts in earnest uh, in a couple of weeks. I'll be meeting with uh, the team at Paramount, uh, Sheila Duck. Duxworth is over this pod, which is the, what I would say, the, the venture that the NAACP and CBS has put together. And so she is the creative lead who is shepherding all of the projects. And they've already, uh, they've already announced a couple of projects within the past several months. So this is something that I'm super excited about because a part of the, the, the opportunity for the fellowship is to pitch Sheila some of the ideas that I'm thinking about for some some shows either uh streaming or broadcast mm -hmm. and then go to town to write it i'll get paid to write it and so that's something that uh that i'm excited about because this is you know giving me the platform to really start putting my my creative intentions out there yep that's a game changer for anybody uh, who is um in the process of writing their own screenplay uh you don't get paid to do it <laughs> you will get paid to uh, do your uh, screenplay. Uh, that's a game changer. As I said, how does that feel for you? Oh, it, it feels great, man. I mean, you know, you hit it on your head. I mean, most writers are out here writing what I call on spec. Yep. You know, it's what exactly. they call it, speculative. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't know if it's going to go. You don't know if somebody else has a similar idea. You know, you just know I like it, so I'm going to write it. Uh, the beauty of once you've been in this town and you're getting paid to write is, is that you now have the freedom you know, 
to, um, um, you know, to really to own what you're doing and really kind of, you know, put your voice into it. I will say, you know, when you do start getting paid, though, you know, you have more people also giving you notes and giving you <laughs> that. that <in. laughs> so so that's, that's the other side of it. Yeah. That's the other side of it, as you probably know, you know. Yeah, writing on spec, anybody bothering you. When they start paying you, they all in your business. They want to give you notes. They want to see what you've done. And it does put a different level of expectation and pressure on you, does it not? Oh, it totally does because I mean, when people are expecting something and they now, I mean, they're paying you, so they really want to make sure that it is, you know, based on what I call, you know, what was agreed upon. And what I would say, you know, expectations and managing that is it's tough as a writer because you, you just know what you love, you know, when you're writing it. But when you put it out there, you have to be, you know, ready for the feedback. You have to be ready for the critique. You know, and every artist deals with criticism in a different way. But that's just something you have to understand that that's just part of the business. Yep. Did you see the movie? Um, you're you're younger than I am, so I don't know if you saw the. Did you, did you see the movie Hollywood Shuffle by Robert Townsend? I saw it years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was in an article that that came up. Uh, yeah, I I was surprised that that was a seminal moment, particularly for a black filmmaker when you know when he did. You know, when that movie came out, I did. Yeah. That was surprising to me. No, it was it was, a, it was an amazing film. When we come forward, I'll tell you why I raised it. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. I raised uh, the movie Hollywood Shuffle, uh, Chandis Jackson, because there's some funny scenes in it. If you haven't seen it in a while, go look at it again. It'd be great, uh, something great to do this weekend. You'll, you'll get some great laughs. And where you are now in your life, <laughs> you, you'll see the film differently, I promise you. Uh, you were talking about giving, uh, about receiving notes, and there's some funny scenes in that movie uh, written by Robert Townsend directed by Robert Townsend about the ways in which white folk give black writers notes. Uh, and as if they have an understanding how we can play ourselves better than we know how to play ourselves, what the character ought to be like, what the arc, what the arc of the story ought to be, all the stuff that you are wrestling with as you bring your stuff to the fore. But uh, Hollywood shuffle, a great film, funny movie about the ways in which black uh, writers and directors and other creators are treated or maltreated in this town, in this town. It was funny, but Robert Townsend got his point across quite nicely. So if you haven't seen it in a while, Check out Hollywood Shuffle this weekend, and you'll get some good laughs. Uh, let me close on this note. Um, I, I'm not going to ask you because I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not that stupid to ask you what your ideas are that you're going to be pitching that you're working on now that you have this fellowship <laughs> that you're going to be pitching in Hollywood. Uh, but I am curious as to the kind of stuff that does fascinate and interest you that you hope you'll get a chance to write about the kinds of stories you do want to tell writ large. Great. I mean, I, I just want to tell uh, Tavis stories that just speak to, you know, to the human experience. And I and I and I consider the black experience, the American experience as well. So I'm trying to model my career after, you know, Shonda Rhimes, Taylor Sheridan, who who's done all this, you know, on the Yellowstone side, you know, uh, and and have, you know, uh, what I call uh, a portfolio of just, you know, great content that people can relate and watch so it's it's um it's it's all over the board but it's it's mostly you know content in a drama space yeah well i i am um i am proud um and and pleased to uh, have had you uh in conversation for this hour 
uh, as I said earlier, I will hold on to this tape, um, uh, waiting for you to blow up, as they say. Uh, and when you do, I'll remind everybody that I blew you up on KBLA Talk 1580. I'll take all the credit for it. Uh, I've had that experience many times in my career. You run to folk who take credit for your success. I knew him way back when, and I did this, and I did that. As if your talent had nothing to do with it, it was their, <laughs> their connection to you that blew you up. I digress on that point, but I've heard that story many, many times in my own career, so I'm just teasing you. But I uh, am seriously congratulating you on being the inaugural recipient of this Writers Program Fellowship from CBS Studios and this NAACP production venture. Uh, and uh, wish you all the best, sir. And uh, I hope and pray that somewhere down the road, uh, when your stuff actually hits, uh, we'll be able to come uh, have you come back on and, and celebrate you. So all the best to you, my friend. Thank you, Travis. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My great honor to have you on. After news, traffic, and sports, hour two and three of Tavis Smiley. You're listening to this program on Unapologetically Progressive, KBLA Talk 1580.